Costing 80 million euro, it's one of the city's biggest ever infrastructural bills. Towering next to the River Lee, the new Parky Creeve has already made its mark from the outside. Now that the cranes are gone, it looks pretty good, but what's going on inside? And what will the new stadium deliver when it opens its doors on the 2nd of July? I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. The Red Business Podcast with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, thanks for joining us. Also coming up on this episode. I've learned that this is a fad. The donuts like the cupcake fad is going to happen and it will die. But I'm building a brand, I'm not building a donut shop. Brutal honesty from a donut entrepreneur on how he believes his business has longevity. And the actions that we're suggesting will make sure that our companies are more resilient so that they can deal with any kind of Brexit. How prepared is your company for Brexit? We'll tell you about a relatively painless test to avoid pain in the future. Red FM Business with Jonathan Healy. Want to simplify how you work? Combine all your lines of communication with Vodafone OneNet Business. First though, a little bit about this podcast. Cork has never had any business programme, which the good people at Red FM decided was a bit of a waste. All of that experience, all of that talent in the city, never before given a proper voice. So that is what we're about. Telling the story of business in Cork. The good and the bad, and the lessons learned in between. So what we want are your stories. Do you have a business or do you have an idea that you want to tell the world about? Have you got an event that's coming up? If you want to take part in this podcast, drop me an email to redbusiness at redfm.ie. So we begin, unlike Star Wars, with episode one. I grew up in Ballon Temple, so for me, Parky Cueve was always a big part of my life. On match days, it wasn't possible not to get caught up in the excitement. And when there were concerts, well, we could just sit out in our back garden and, and sneak a free listen. There's embarrassing photographic evidence, by the way, from around the time of the Michael Jackson gig with face paint that I'd rather not discuss. But as I grew older, so did Parky Cueve, and it didn't age particularly well. Down came the old in the last two years, well, at least most of it, and up went the new. Red Business has gotten exclusive access to the new Parky Cueve, and here is what we found. To be honest, it was crazy inside. Despite looking kind of finished from the outside, there's still major work underway to finish the interior. I'm not sure whether the old stadium had a sales manager. In fact, I doubt very much he did, unless he worked in the famous Beamish room. But the new park certainly has one, and his name is Patrick Doyle. There's about 420 people here on site every day, so it just gives you a sense of the, the amount of activity that's going on here. Things change here very fast. Um, I suppose our big day is 2nd of July, um, which fixtures allowing we'll have the Munster football final between Kerry and Cork. Um, so that's, that's kind of the big day for us. What are the stress levels like about getting to the stage where you're actually able to host that Munster final? I mean, we're in a room right now, no disrespect to the gym as it will be, but it doesn't look like a gym right now. Yeah, sure. Look, there's obviously stress like any other project, right? Things will go down to the wire. But um, as I say, there's huge work going on here. We'll be, uh, all systems go to, again, we're, we're reliant on fixtures. So hopefully uh, you'll have both teams in the Munster final. We'll be good to go for 2nd of July. This project has been immense from, from start to finish. I mean, the old Park Cueve opened in, in 76. So she, she saw good service, but needed to be replaced mm. kind of quickly. Yeah, I mean, look, it was ahead of its time in its day, right, but there's no doubt it, it needed to be redeveloped. There's really only the, the 
the supports that are holding up each terrace are the only things that have been maintained. Um, Cork is the second city in Ireland, needs a state-of-the-art stadium. It's going to have that now. Um, we'll have a full-size 4G all-weather pitch here as well, which will be again available for the use for training for Cork teams, which is most important. So all the facilities that we're in here and along this floor are, again, for the betterment of Cork GA and hopefully for the Cork teams. And while those facilities are only coming together now, you can already see how they will be state-of-the-art. There's four dressing rooms, there's warm-up areas, there's this new mega gym. The players will want for nothing. But what about the rest of us less gifted mortals? Well, we'll be outside, of course, where I spoke to the chairman of Parky Creeve, John Mullins. You know, this has been designed to be state-of-the-art, to be as good as any of the stadia that we have in Ireland. I think uh, it's definitely up there with the Aviva, with Crow Park or, or with Holmond and the facilities there. Um, we will have uh, um, eating facilities for uh, upwards of 600 people at a time here. Um, we have three bars, we have a cafe. Uh, and of course then the section behind us actually will be converted into uh, uh, an event centre or a com conference centre in essence uh, uh, during the week. So we already have a number of bookings uh, um, um, ahead of actually launching a brochure. So that's uh, very positive. Tell me about what else this is going to be used for. Because the obvious thing is we think back, Parky Creeve, we had concerts here. There was a boxing match very famously here once. Is there going to be a lot more of that in the future? Oh, I think this is going to be a, a multi-purpose stadium. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It's a stadium for, I think, all the citizens of, of, of Cork. Um, we, uh, as you know, are part of the bid for the 2023 uh, World Cup uh, in rugby. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, I think we all look forward to, to Ireland winning that bid uh, later this year. Never mind the World Cup itself. Never mind the World Cup. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure about that. But, but certainly, um, you know, we've got definitive plans, I think, uh, for concerts next year, um, in all likelihood starting in May. Um, um, we were probably too late to the, for the summer market this year. Um, and there would have been uncertainty around various elements of the stadium. So, but now that we're closer to the opening, which is going to be uh, at the end of next month, uh, we're very confident that we can provide promoters like Aiken and Desmond uh, what they want in terms of the ergonomics of, uh, of the stadium. So in real terms, we could have concerts here next summer? I think we will have definitely concerts next summer and starting in, in all likelihood in, in May. Uh, so watch that space. So there you have it. Keep your diary free for the end of May next year for the first new concert at the park. I did ask, by the way, if John knew who would be performing. He said he didn't. And to be honest, I do believe him. But there were all those rumours about a certain hat-wearing cowboy, Mr Garth Brooks. How would you feel if that was the first concert in the new stadium? Anyway, back to the business end of things. As we heard, it's not just match days or concert days that will bring the money in. It's also conferences and meetings. Now, that's not an area the Cork County Board had much experience in. Yeah, I think the, the County Board realised that, that, that with a stadium like this, it needed the support of the business community around the city and county. And uh, I would have to say that uh, the committee that has worked with me and, and those that we've approached in terms of purchasing tickets here and, and also just you know being very much in favour of what's going on, um, the response has been excellent. I think um, um, you know business people do want a, a day out, they want the recreation as much as, much as anybody else. Uh, they want to bring their clients into, into events, whether it's concerts or whether it's actually matches. Uh, and I think uh, what you have here is going to be certainly something for every Cork person to be very proud of. I was here in 1976 when the, at eight years of age when the, the last stadium uh, opened 
and I know that there's young children of a similar age all around the city and county who can't wait to get inside the doors of this place. You age better than the old stadium, I can put it that way to you, but what day are you looking forward to most? Are you looking forward to the day that all that noise is going on in the background here, all the jackhammers, all the drills, all, all the heavy lifting, that that goes silent and you walk out onto a finished pitch, or is it the day of the Munster final when you see the teams come out through the tunnels? I, I'm, I'm looking forward to a day when, when, when you have a full stadium here and the red jersey goes out on the pitch for the first time. And that for me, I think the excitement of that, I think uh, people who have a, a passion for, for the red jersey, um, they certainly would be looking forward to that day. And it'll be interesting because one thing we haven't tested, what's the noise going to be like in this place? And can't wait just to hear what that din is going to be like. The roof here on the south stand and the roof over in the north stand certainly will create a, an echo. Uh, and it is a cauldron. You can see it's a bowl. It has retained that bowl sense. So certainly I think uh, days of the future hopefully will be very much like days of the past and we've got good teams on the way. We'll hear the rebel roar. There's no doubt about it and I think uh, um, also I would hope that, that, that the players, you know, young players, skiing a skull, primary school students, girls and boys, will all want to play in this stadium like I did and like others did, right? And I think that for me is something that actually creates a new sense of ambition in the GA, a new sense of ambition for the Red Jersey, and I've no doubt that um, this place can be called a fortress in years to come. I decided to ask John whether that rebel roar will just be restricted to the GAA. There is this sense that the city is about to undergo massive change, so who better to get an opinion from than John Mullins, who is a man who wears many hats, chair of Parky Cueve, chair of the Port of Cork, CEO of Amarenko Solar. What does he think is in the offing? Well, I think projects like this and, and, and other projects like Albert Key and the capital and... Um O'Callaghan properties now starting to build during the summertime. You've seen the announcement in the Port of Cork recently of a 40-storey tower. Uh, I think there's an ambition there. I think uh, a new ambition for, for a city. And my own sense is that people always took a view that Parky Kiev was actually an isolated spot within the city. The reality is that in the next 15 years, uh, there will be development all the way down to Parky Kiev. In fact, Parky Kiev will get sucked into the city. The city's moving east, you know, and as you know, I'm chairman of the Port of Cork. We've got some great plans for Tivoli as well um, to create a brand new village within, within the city. And the city council are very much working with us in, in, in that regard. So I, I think, you know, our population will grow. It is growing and we have a shortage of housing, shortage of infrastructure, and we have to invest ahead of the curve um, with economic growth rates like we have today of going on 5% annually. 6.2% unemployment, we've got no choice but to bring people into our country to work. Uh, the economy is growing and I think there's a, a real sense of confidence uh, amongst business people in Cork and amongst you know, Cork people generally. If you want to see what it's like inside the new Parky Cueve, you can check out our exclusive video that we shot during our visit. That's up on the website, redfm.ie. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Never miss an opportunity when you simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. So we're coming up on the first anniversary of us all going to bed after Nigel Farage conceded defeat over Brexit. They surely wouldn't quickly became... They actually did. Because on June 23rd, Britain decided to leave the European Union by a margin of 52 to 48%. Now, bear in mind that us Irish send 7.5 billion euro in exports to Britain every year, and that amounts to 37% of all that we produce. For ages, 
kind of understandably, we all acted like it never happened. They would come to their senses. They would change their mind. Or maybe, like Bobby Ewing and Dallas, they'd wake up in the shower one morning and it would all have been a horrible dream. Good morning. Sadly, though, it was no dream, because the only thing waiting outside the shower door was the new British Prime Minister, Theresa May. Brexit means Brexit. The campaign was fought, the vote was held, turnout was high, and the public gave their verdict. So Article 50 has been triggered, and there's talk of the hardest of hard Brexits. The battle lines have been drawn, so what can Irish businesses do to prepare? So here's Anne Lanigan, the manager of the Brexit unit at Enterprise Ireland, with the top five. And if you remember Dallas, then you'll recognise this music. Number five. Uh, financial management, crucial in the context of Brexit to have strong financial management both in terms of operational finance and in terms of strategic financial management. So looking to the future and making sure that their finances are ready for them and in order to implement their Brexit action plan. Number four. Collaboration, so working with their peers and um, working with possibly their customers in order to collaborate and make sure that they are delivering at the very best they can. At number three. Look at their markets, and that might mean diversifying into new market segments in the UK, or it might mean diversifying into new geographical markets. Number two. Number two would be invest in innovation, an innovative product or service, or even it might be an innovative um, process within their business, will help them to command a premium price and be more competitive. And the number one top tip. Competitiveness. Our companies need to increase their competitiveness um, so that um, they can compete properly with um, other companies in the marketplace. We're expecting to see increased competition in the UK and in the domestic Irish market and so it's very important that companies look to remove waste um, and to reduce cost where they can from end to end in their supply chain in order for them to be able to compete effectively um, with the new and increased competition that we're seeing. Enterprise Ireland has set up this really clever test to compare how ready you think you are with how ready you actually are. You'll find it all at prepareforbrexit.ie. And Lanigan again. It brings a company through 24 questions um, which prompt them to think about the different areas uh, in which they might be exposed in relation to Brexit. So that's the first step. The output of that um, would be a report which gives them actions that they can take now in order to prepare themselves for and Brexit. It's, it's very simple. It's, it's red is bad green is good, orange, you need to do more. It's, it's, it's really self-explanatory. That's right. There is a traffic light system, but behind that, um, there is a tool um, that delivers the actions, depending on how you score yourself, gives you a particular action related to your position on that um, particular question, in order that you know what action you might be able to take immediately. The bottom line, though, is that companies should be preparing for the worst now. They should prepare for the hard exit. If it's softer, they'll see benefits. If it's hard, they'll at least be ready. Absolutely. And the actions that we are suggesting that companies take make good business sense anyway. We don't know what Brexit will look like, but we do know that it will be harder and we need to up our game. And so the actions that we are suggesting will make sure that our companies are more resilient so that they can deal with any kind of Brexit. 
Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Want to simplify how you work? Combine all your lines of communication with Vodafone One Net Business. We'll have to talk more about Brexit in the programmes ahead, but we'll look at the positives as well, or at least the potential positives. Lots of talk of companies moving parts of their operations to Dublin from London, and we'll ask whether Cork can grab a piece of that particular pie. But it's not pies we're talking about next. It's this. So you like donuts, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, have all the donuts in the world! Homer <laughs> Simpson would be in his element if he was living in Cork right now because from having none, the city now boasts three donut shops. Donuts were always a thing, but your choices were fairly limited. You could have plain or jam, or if you're posh, you could have cream. I won't even start to list what's on offer now. We'll hear more about the menu later. But let's take a trip to South Terrace to meet Cork's first donut dealer, Jason Woodard, the owner of Huckleberry's, the first donut shop to open. Tell me a little bit about the name. Why did you come up with Huckleberry's? Um, believe it or not, it's from a Western starring Kurt Russell called Tombstone and it's just one of my favourite movies and I have a WhatsApp group of my friends and it's called I'm Your Huckleberry and one of the lads just suggested call it Huckleberries. Why donuts? Well, uh, well, about two and a half years ago I saw a trend happening in Dublin. Um, I was always wondering why there's no donut shops in Ireland. Uh, UK have them, I was wondering when are we going to hit them? And then it came to Dublin, the Angel Dangers, the Rolling Donuts and I thought the trend is going to happen sooner or later so I jumped on and it blew up. Tell me about the startup. How did you get from the point at which this was an idea that you had to actually opening on South Terrace? Um, so this happened kind of randomly, really. I had a great job. I was working for um, a radio station and digital marketing. And then, as I saw, I saw the trend. So I said, I looked at my pricing options. I looked at everything and my stars aligned in some way that I could afford to do this. I handed my notice in and four weeks later, the doors were open and we were selling. That's pretty fast if you're turning around that quickly. Was that real seed your pants stuff, even though you had done your homework? Yes, 100%. It was really tight, but um, like we were supposed to open on Thursday, we got delayed because of uh, tiling issues with the counter and stuff, but that's all business openings and that happens there anyway. But I knew, like, it's not a complicated shop. It's very simple. It's takeaway only, so I knew there'd be no problems with chairs and stuff. So it was just get in, get the walls done, get the counter done, get the kitchen done. What's crazy was how busy the shop was. In the few minutes I was standing there, there was this steady stream of customers coming in, mostly kids in their school uniform, all buying donuts. So if the shop opened during term time, is that a potential flaw in the model? What happens when the students aren't around? Will trade dip? You see that, that was, I was worried about that as well. So, but like when we had, the, we were here for Christmas, and when the Christmas lull happened, and all the colleges were gone, and it was early January. We were still setting out. We had people stopping. You'll see people stopping in the middle of the road, blocking up lanes of traffic, running in. It just, if people want it, they want it. Um, luckily that, I'd say about 30% of our audience is students, which is not a bad percentage, but the rest are normal, regular customers. Yeah. Who'll be there when the schools are closed? Exactly. Yeah. To give you an idea of how this craze has taken hold, let me tell you about my walk to Huckleberry's. As I walked down the South Mall, there were three students who passed me, all of them eating donuts. I saw another lady pass me. She had a box of donuts in her hand. And then on a side street, I found a discarded donut box. Not from Huckleberry's, I might add, but still with two uneaten donuts inside. 
had someone had their fill already? And was it a sign that the market cannot sustain this exponential donut growth? Jason Woodward is surprisingly honest about the industry. I've learned that this is a fad. The donuts, like the cupcake fad, is going to happen and it will die. But I'm building a brand. I'm not building a donut shop. So my thesis is you can get a burger in any chipper, but you have to go to McDonald's for a Big Mac. You can get a donut anywhere, but you have to go to Huckleberry's for Huckleberry Donut. So in other words, you're acknowledging that, that this is this is an, almost a mini bubble, that you're oh, going to have a lot 100%. of different stores. I mean, I know there's at least three in Cork yeah, at the I, moment. I think there's plans for seven different donut shops in Cork City by the end of the summer. By the end of this summer? By the end of the okay, summer. so you've got a lot of stiff competition, yes. so it's all about the quality of the brand. 100%. So that's right, seven more donut shops in Cork before the end of the summer. If Jason is right, and it's just a fad, how many of those are going to survive? Cork better like donuts, and at least now there's more on offer than jam or plain or cream. I've come up with maybe 80% of the menu, and then my staff or customers have decided to throw in ideas. We take, we take ideas from anyone and everyone, and we spend hours taste testing and designing. So, um, yeah, about 80% of my, my own design and stuff. Uh, just stuff I've seen from America or England, I've put my own twist on them. Um, like the sugar Nutella, that's the standard, you know, it's but... It's stuffed in Nutella. You have the Boston creams, you have the coffee cream, caramel almonds. You know, we have a new one with the Rebel Chili. So we've collabed with the Cork Company Rebel Chili. So it's jalapeno jam and raspberry, white chocolate and peanut butter. I mean, that's all, that, that's all sounds a bit mad, really, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it tastes like, amazing. Yeah, but is it difficult then? We're actually blocking the queue. Hang on, we better go around here. We're blocking the queue. When you get into the business and the industry, donuts, which you may or may not have had a huge amount of experience in previously, how quickly did you become immersed? I became immersed really when I decided, the second I decided I'm going to do this, I was on Pinterest, I was online till three or four o'clock every night. I completely immersed myself in it because you have to, you have to know what you're doing and you have to know what works and what doesn't work. We built it completely digitally, so that was, that was somewhat of a, a hurdle, but I knew that would work because it's food porn. Food porn. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's food porn. That's exactly what it is. So, so are you not? You, you're willing to go on the record and say you are a creator of porn, but food porn. Subtle difference. Yes, one hundred percent. So, what you tell us to the uninitiated what food porn is? We we consume it all. It's like anything. The perfect example of food porn is the Marks and Spencer's Christmas adverts. The slow motion stuff you see where their food's being cut up and the sauces and just the really indulgent looking food. That like my like a donut's an impulse buy, plain and simple. You're not going to, well, you might think about it on Monday or Tuesday and buy it on a Friday, but if you see it on a Friday afternoon and go, yeah, I want that. So we're trying to get it into your face as much as possible, make it look as sexy as possible, so you kind of instantly, I want that. Mmm, donuts. So, Jason, we're back in the food preparation area now here, and you have a plain donut, something really chocolatey that looks interesting, and something in the microwave. What's happening? So what I'm making here now is our very popular Kinder White Chocolate. Um, it was actually a mistake we came across this so we were we had a Frere Rocher Christmas special it was massive it was really really popular um, so we, we stopped that in January but as the last of the lot were being sold we overmade and didn't have enough Frere Rocher so we had tons of our praline glaze on donuts and I thought let's throw some white chocolate and some biscuit on it see how that works and it turned out to taste exactly like your white chocolate Kinder Buenos right so what I do is I take the plain donut the plain ring donut I get my uh, praline glaze, and I literally just, like butter, I smear it on it. Right. 
Now, this is a visual. This is literally dripping off this here now. This is yeah. as, as sensual as it gets. You talk Marks and Spencer's ad. This is Absolutely. pretty much up there with So it. we have our chocolate melting then. We have our, uh, have our white chocolate melting. So that's softening. So, so you have to melt that. So the white chocolate is now emerging from the microwave. So then we literally just drizzle. Make it look amazing. And is it, it's all the visual with donuts, isn't 100%. it? 100%. All visual. So we have crushed up biscuits. We literally just pound it over like that. And that's it. That's your Kinder Bueno white chocolate. What does that sell for? Three euro. Every donut is three euro. Every donut Every is donut three euro. So there's no confusion over no price. Confusion confusion over everything three is three euro. The proof is in the eating. So hang on a second. I'm, uh, this is this is unusual now Enjoy. to try and describe this. You may have to take over the commentary bit here. <laughs> so a massive bite. Mm. That was good. Yeah. I'm going to keep eating this. Yeah, you just just well, leave me alone with the donut, will you? <laughs> leave me alone. Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Combine all your lines of communication and simplify the game. Search Vodafone One Net Business today. Thanks to Jason at Hucklebreeze and at Enterprise Ireland and Patrick and John down at Parky Creeve. There's more up on the website, redfm.ie. If you have a question or if you've got a story for Red Business, drop me an email, redbusiness at redfm.ie or you can tweet me at Jonathan Healy. Thanks for listening. Red Business goes live every Wednesday. Catch you on the next one.